This episode is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country and we want to pay our respects to the original creatives of this land and their elders past, present and future. Welcome back to another episode of Country Creatives. <laughs> that was one of your best intros ever. Thanks, mate. We had a really great chat with Kira Hyde today. Whoa, it was good. <laughs> it was packed full of really valuable content in the area of business and creativity to serve business outcomes. Mm. Um, there was just so much walking through like the whole customer journey and how we should be thinking and acting with potential clients as creative businesses. Yeah, definitely. As a creative, sometimes a business can be the tricky part of the process yeah. of how to convince a business person about your creative ideas and concepts and process. So we broke that down and I think it was really valuable mm. content. And fun. It was very fun. So let's jump into it. Hey, Kira, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Woo! It's going to be crazy. It's going to be good. Let's just kick things off with a little bit of a foundational understanding of who is Kira Hyde and how did you get to where you are now? Let's go speed version. What's your background and what are you doing now? Gosh, what a question. All right. So I guess I first started dabbling in the creative realm when I was a teenager. So I started building websites and blogs and actually had a pretty successful blog at that age. Then I got through high school, did uni, did all the right things, but I decided to pursue journalism and writing. And I thought that was a lot safer. (laughs) And then after I graduated, I had no clue what I wanted to do. And I decided to pick up and move to Europe. So I traveled England and Germany for a couple of years freelance that whole time, launched my business during that time. And from there, it was probably like three years in, I reckon I moved back to Bendigo, I was ready to settle down, bought a house, grew my team. And I guess now, six and a half years later, I've got a full-fledged studio, awesome team, local roots, but also we have clients all over the world. So it's pretty Whoa. exciting, all pretty right. lucky. That was amazing, by the way. That was a, a crazy good speed <laughs> summary of your was the fastest I've ever done it. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the business now? So I run the KH Studio, a creative marketing studio, and we do everything from brands, websites, social media marketing, as well as paid ads. Whoa, so good. A little heads up, I can speak to the efficacy (laughs) and amazingness of the KH Studio because they run Hebron Films social media. They did a whole website refresh and heaps of really great stuff. Absolutely brought you back from the shadow land. (laughs) Oh, yes. Hebron had just been missing in action, I reckon, (laughs) on social media and keeping their website updated. And I've noticed Mm -hmm. that there's been a lot of action. Funnily enough, saw a post go up last night and and knowing that we were going to have this chat, I was like, oh, I wonder what kind of stats they've got on like the growth of this page since you've taken it over. Is there like any little insights you want to share on like... I'm an open book, so Kira, I I don't know. We don't probably have the stats on hand, but they're good. Oh, I I can pretty much say that because we do analytics reports every single month. So they're pretty detailed. They cover everything from Google My Business to social media to your website, everything. And I'm pretty sure there's a few thousand percent increase (laughs) across the board when we look at it from last year when we compare it there. But month by month, it's steadily growing and your LinkedIn is killing it. Yeah. Yeah. Really happy with LinkedIn at the moment (laughs) for you. Almost would love to have an episode dedicated to just how to use LinkedIn as a creative. That could be like really interesting. Well, having said that, I literally do these workshops on how to use LinkedIn better. Oh, so maybe, maybe. 
maybe we'll do another episode. Maybe I should just be here for a mini series. Let's do it. (laughs) That'd be great. All right. So that's a great idea for an episode, but it's not the one we're recording now. We have a really amazing uh, topic to discuss, and I think it's one that's going to resonate with a lot of creative entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and even people running bigger businesses. And the idea is this, business versus creativity and creativity to serve business. How do you run a creative business that achieves business outcomes but stay creative? You said versus there, okay? Business versus creativity, but I was thinking maybe the middle word there is uh, creativity to serve business. Yeah, okay. Just to to dial in a little bit All right, that's good. That's the topic. So I suppose my first question is, what, Kira, what are your approaches and how do you see this working in your business uh, in terms of your the way that you've structured your offerings you cr- because they are creative offerings right how do you uh, approach delivering your creativity but in a way that really is measurable in business outcomes yeah definitely i think this actually plays a lot into who i am as a person as well like i'm a creative through and through but i have a very analytical mindset and i'm someone who definitely dives deep looks at the foundation before i build anything before i create anything and i think that's how i approach working in business as well and bringing that creative flair because i feel like there's there's a lot of warrant in starting deep setting that foundation, understanding the business, understanding what their needs are, understanding their purpose, their why, understanding who their audience is, and then creating something that's going to speak to that and speak for them. Mm. So I think that you have to balance that as a creative if you want to succeed in the business space as well. Yeah, because what we're talking about here is there are a, a fair list of creative businesses and mine's one of them in which they're creative, they, they, we are creating cool things but we are more focused on what that's actually achieving and the link is so strong in why we are delivering what we're Mm -hmm. delivering it has an outcome and it has a benefit to the audience reese would you have any other ideas about what other businesses might be involved in this kind of realm i was thinking about creativity as a whole it exists on its own with absolutely no outcomes as well. And that's probably more aimed towards the art world. But there's still people who buy the art to live in our our world. You have to make money to survive Mm. to some degree. Yep. And so there's the side of things where people just make what they want and people buy it and they survive from there. But then on the opposite end of the scale, you're using a creative service to make money and to serve a business. And I also think I fit maybe in a little bit, little foot in both of those worlds yeah. sometimes, <laughs> yeah, which is interesting. Sure. But both of you are like very specifically in creativity for money and for business outcomes. So I was like, I'm really keen to maybe hear a bit more about you talking about that foundation of what the first step is in developing your client relationship to be able to get to the best creative results. Because what I'm really interested in is how you can not stifle creativity because Mm. of business Mm -hmm. and how you can achieve really cool creative outcomes that also achieve great business outcomes. Mm -hmm. So can we go back to maybe the starting phase of when you've got an opening? And Caleb, you would also have lots of great ideas on this as well. By the end of this episode, we're just going to have come up with some clear ideas and processes and things and insights, I should say. You'll be winning at life in business. (laughs) 
<laughs> Kira, have you got some thoughts on this? Yeah, definitely. So I think that it, I'm, I was really grateful for what you had said there, Reese, because a lot of my friends, a lot of my clients, they are in the artist realm. Their creativity fires them up, it fuels them. They don't want to think about the business side of things that often. They just want to let their creativity thrive and mm-hmm. run wild um, because that's when they get their personal outcomes that they want to achieve. And so what I would say to that, and it also brings back to the business side of things as well, is when I start working with a client, there has to be a foundation of a relationship first. You need to build that rapport with that person and so that person needs to matter more than the creativity that I'm bringing to the plate Mm, to begin with Mm. but then once their passions their why their insights become everything that fuels and drives me I can bring my creativity in and it's like I'm channeling them and that's where I always say in the work that we do we're really intuitive in our websites and our branding because we have to understand who we're working with Mm. and channel that to be able to get their best outcome So I separate myself from that a little bit. And when I step into a room with a client, that's what I bring. It's okay, how can I channel this person, understand them, connect, resonate, and then achieve their goal? That is such a great foundation because a lot of the temptation and a lot of creatives can have value and have such a great value on their own Mm. creativity that they let that dominate their initial conversations Mm -hmm. with people. And they come into the room thinking they're the hero. They go, man, we're in this meeting because you like what I do and what I do is pretty flippin' special. (laughs) So I'm just going to make sure in this meeting that you understand how good I am. Now save that for the end of the chat (laughs) and focus on them. And then you'll make the sale and you don't even have to talk in a sales language because what you're doing is you're just connecting. They believe that you actually want them to succeed. They believe that you understand who they are and that's how you get a client over the line. Oh, that is so much better a place to start Mm -hmm. in understanding that you are here to serve a purpose. But in both of our businesses, it's really communication. Mm -hmm. Like we're communicating the special source of a business to the people that are going to benefit most from that. That's how our creativity is serving that business. But in that initial meeting, we've got to have our focus clear that we're here to help them. They need to feel like we understand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that creative ego, like an ego of a creative person, Oof. it needs to be high because like you're putting your creative yeah. self oh, out totally. into the world. Yeah, so yeah. like yep. you need that shield of ego, but it can also be a barrier to just like you say, understanding what drives yeah. a person. But once you understand what drives a person, if you can angle all of your reasons why you've made a certain decision Mm -hmm. back to their core reasoning of why they have a business or why they exist in this space, your arguments become so much more compelling. It's not like, oh, I I just like the colour pink. (laughs) Because I think it's it's really hot and in trend at the moment. Yeah, I'm just vibing pink right now and I think that's what you need. (laughs) Oh, no, we have to do this on a daily basis with logos. We we, we present logos to clients and then we have to to literally explain why we've chosen the kerning of a letter, why we've chosen that particular type of font. And it's something so basic. It's not even a full completed piece. But we have to go deep and pull back from their why, their purpose, their outcome. We have to pull back on that and say, this is why I've made these decisions. Mm. And it's really great, though, and... When you were saying before about that creative ego as well, there is such a place for that. Mm -hmm. But I just think that when you start off, 
go to the client, focus on what they want, and then bring the creative ego afterwards because they love that. Yeah. They want to know that you know what you're doing. Like yeah. they want to mm. know that you are the best in the business yep. or the best in your creative field. They want to know that. So there's a place for both. All Definitely. Right. Quick question from the both of you, and maybe I'll answer as well, but <laughs> what's the one in that initial meeting? Do you have a secret question or a special question that you mm. use to like dive in a little bit deeper or throw something out there that's a bit out of the ordinary? Yeah, I do. I often say, it's imagine we're 12 months after making this video, but looking back on it, what would need to have happened for you to say that was a success? So I get them to cast their mind forward and then look back and say, what do I need this video to achieve? But in a bit more of a, an imaginative way that helps the client position themselves to go, oh, this is actually what I want to have happen in the real world. Not, I want my brand awareness to mm-hmm. be higher. <laughs> okay, but what does that look like? Like as a metric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how what is it going to look like in the real world? Sure, you can want better brand awareness but from who and where and all yeah, that. I definitely lean in on that I ask that question too but for me I think that and particularly because my service what we actually offer we help people launch mm. we help people who are mm. there at idea stage mm. they're all they've got is this idea they don't know what they want to do with it and so we have to try and grab them at that stage but get them ready to make this momentous decision to commit the next few years hopefully a decade of their life to this business so I always ask the question and I think I'm allowed to as well because of I guess the emotion in the room and everything mm. But I always ask them, what do they want out of their life? What do they want? How do they want to feel fulfilled? What do they want to achieve personally? After the success of this business, what is it that they want to be left with? Because at the end of the day, a business is a business. It can be full of purpose and and passion and, and all of that, but it's also your job. So you need to feel fulfilled outside of that. And so I start there because at that point as well, I care about them. I genuinely care about them. And then they know that too. And then they go so much deeper when they're answering their questions. It's not about just what target audience are you serving? It's okay, I'm serving this audience because I met this person and I was able to give this impact to that person. And they can go so much deeper Mm -hmm. because I've already built that emotional connection with them. I like like that. That's really personable kind of Mm. and yeah, that really opens up that whole lane of communication on a deeper level. I really like that. It's one thing that we as business owners need to be asking ourselves, mm. what do we want from this business? Totally. I've heard someone say the other day that that you either optimise a business to eventually mm-hmm. sell it for cash flow, to make it a cash flow machine, or for lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And at the starting point, it's so important and even throughout the development of a business, it's so important to know what you're optimising it for. Do you want to sell this thing and get out? Do you want to have it tick along in the background and make some really good cash flow that you're going to distribute somewhere else? Or do you just want to do the creative thing that you really love and have a great lifestyle? The actions that you do and how you would advise Mm -hmm. uh, a business to operate from a marketing, branding, advertising perspective would be different. 100%. 100%. Based on all those, right? 100%. We need to know that that ultimate goal because that dictates the name of the business. It mm. dictates how we how we purchase and set up all the mm. domains and everything, how we build the website. Is it Does it need to be user-friendly from an owner perspective? Does mm. it need to be sellable? Does it need to be easily uh, able to be rebranded? All of those questions are so important. Yeah, but I love what love you said it. about we start this business for a few reasons and what is that? I think we all have to ask ourselves that question and I'm six and 
and a half years into my business and I ask myself this question all the time mm. and it I guess it changes sometimes oh, yeah. but it, it's such a good thing to do because I think it depends on your stage of life as well and what you want to achieve. So that we can uh, what I started a business so I could attach my whole identity to it <laughs> and <laughs> never be able to break from it. And <laughs> oh yeah I forgot that option yeah. Yeah that's the not so ideal option but <laughs> anyway we've had a whole chats about that on a separate I uh, love that. episode. I my comment about that initial getting to know you stage mm. might be a good segue into mm. the next little bit is when you're in that meeting literally repeating what they have said back to them is Ooh, that's good it's yep. a proven that's a good technique I, th- I think it's the fbi hostage negotiators they say <laughs> that is actually the most powerful move in a hostage negotiation situation mm. is to repeat the three or four last words that someone has just said to you back to them Ooh. is like the most powerful negotiation technique oh, that there is. Nah. I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. yeah, there's so much. Yeah, so much in that. And so I would say that like when I do a return brief or a proposal that goes back to someone, it feels like cheating because you're not really doing that much <laughs> thinking, but just taking what they've said and putting it in the same words as close as you can and just mirroring what they've said. And they're like, oh, yeah, he understands me. He, he listened. Uh-huh. He, and then I can come back to that and go, oh, we've made this decision because of this thing you told mm-hmm. me here yep. and it's yep. documented. That's why briefs are so important. Phenomenal, right? Yep. Reese? we're going to do another episode on proposals, aren't we? And we'll get deeper into how you set yours out. And I know all of us use proposals here, but the, that is exactly, this is a little hack that I use to achieve exactly that, making the client feel like I understand them. And it's so good. It does feel like cheating a little bit, but it's not. It's just been smart. I have all of my discovery calls on Zoom. And if I have an in-person one, which I really love, I'll record it. I know this. (laughs) (laughs) And then I put it into grain.io. I think it is grain.something. It's a tool that just transcribes the audio and it plugs in really well with Zoom. So that's why I use it. It automatically records my Zoom calls and then transcribes them. And I literally ask in the discovery call, I ask all the things I need to put on the first page of my proposal. Mm -hmm. And those things are, what is their problem? Why does it hurt? (laughs) Why do they want to solve it? And what are their objectives? What what are their actual business objectives that they're coming to us for? And I literally just... Copy and paste. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, reword what they've said and send it back to them in the first page. That's not cheating, that's smart business. Mm. We do so much and we have to give so much to our clients. Do mm. we really want to waste time on on certain <laughs> little things, particularly when you've done that you've done the work, you've you've engaged in that meeting, you've yeah. given that meeting your absolute all. Yeah it's more than okay to use some systems to help you streamline some of those behind the scenes stuff. And the thing was that I would always forget what they said. Every client's going to have their own unique language and way Mm -hmm. of saying things. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to underestimate the power of using their exact words for Mm -hmm. things. You can describe something in a way that's really not very industry specific. Someone would look at your description and go, oh yeah, but in architecture, we say it this way. If you're putting a proposal together Mm -hmm. for an architect and you use their industry language, Mm -hmm. they go, oh, this guy gets me. This Mm -hmm. girl gets me. Whoa. Yeah, that's (laughs) really great. So let's jump ahead. We've gotten to know the client. You know their pain points, what they're trying to achieve. You know a bit about them. You know their business. You also know you probably already discussed maybe what your outcome is starting to look like in terms whether it's a social media campaign or is it a a website update is it a video 
Is it some other kind of creative that serves a business purpose? So you know some of those bits and pieces, yeah, at this point. How do you get started on the creative part of it? So we've done all the people mm-hmm. bit. We jump into the creative and this is where I think it gets really interesting because now creativity is our tool to mm-hmm. serve those objectives. Mm. Or have I missed a step on finding what the objectives are? I, I'm going to skip that a little. I want to get to the no, creative yeah. bit, but I <laughs> think it, we shouldn't just forget about that bit either. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, totally. I love this bit. This is my favourite part of any project. And I'm definitely more introverted in the way that I just love being in my own space and, and working and just letting my creativity flow. So when I'm working on a website, I batch work it. So when I'm starting a website, and I'm using a website as an example because you have to take the brand, the copywriting, the photography, you've got to take all of your strategy, your prep work, all the creative assets that you've put together. And I literally lay everything out. I lay it all out, I look at it all, and I start sketching and drawing. I draw out wireframes, I do that first, pen and paper, and I do that and I I literally formulate how I want it to look and I start visualizing it and when my brain starts swirling around with colors and layouts and you know, and everything starts clicking, it's yes, all right, I'm ready to start building. And then I just literally sit there in front of my computer for hours on end and build out this website and every single bit of it flows. I'm not stuck, I'm not someone who starts with the layout first and then does everything else backwards I feel like you lose some of the creativity there Mm. like website developers they start with the structure first and they're not even a part of the process from the photography the copywriting they're not a part of any of that they're not a part of that groundwork as much whereas I am and Mm. I can really do that so I can be so intuitive when it comes to building you're the coordinator Mm -hmm. of, of all of those parts which is a really cool position to play because you might write the brief for the photographer and you'll be briefing all of the different creatives that you're working with and then coordinating it back to this central point potentially Um, I love that yeah that what I'm hearing from that is if you do all the groundwork and you have all the assets you start with Mm -hmm. the assets and the outcomes in mind then you've got all the tools at your disposal to let your creativity inject your creativity and let that just fly with a solid foundation of what you're trying to achieve and what you've got to work with rather than starting with a formula that may not fit with what you've got to work with. I love that you lay it all out Mm. and you go, this is my starting point. This is what I've got and this is the outcome. This is, these are the assets. This is where I'm going to start. Totally. It allows me to be so much more creative. I can, I then have the time to dream up custom code so I can custom CSS certain elements and create functionality on our website that I wouldn't, have been able to think of if I was so bogged down and everything else first and building it step by step like that's mm. why I have to start like that I know it's different for you though because you have to do all of that um, prep work first that's one particular way of brainstorming mm. at that beginning point mm. and I've done a lot of experimenting with like different styles of brainstorming there's like your mind mapping and there's post-it notes on a wall and there's visually laying all of your assets out on a table and drawing lines between things and circling stuff and whatever Mm. do you have a particular starting like to brainstorm stuff yeah yeah we're very process driven as a business which i'd love to talk about as well because i know kira (laughs) is is as well we need to be able to achieve and create our assets and content in a really smooth and systemized way so that we one survive as a business but we also are helping more people and we're able to make that process repeatable the outcome repeatable to to get good outcomes all the time Mm -hmm. we need a process to get there the first 
part, after the discovery call in our process, we get the client's intended outcome and their idea. And so then we have a 20-minute team meeting where it's capped at 20 minutes. We give the producers the opportunity to pitch in ideas. And that's even before we've quoted and given a proposal. The reason we do that is so that the producers have, because I'm not the one producing the, the video, right? I'm the one selling it. And I'm the one strategizing and and dealing with the client at the start, but then I hand it over to a producer to actually uh, get it done. So I invite them into that early process to just spitball some ideas. They're real quick, rough ideation session, often on a whiteboard. We draw all our ideas up and then I use that to put together the proposal. So that just determines the asset. We're not writing scripts. We're not working out the details. We're not getting stuck in the weeds. We're literally high level. What are we going to make for this client that's going to achieve their outcome? Mm. And so the actual creativity and detail comes after we've got the job. But before, it's really important to know what asset are we making so that we actually give them a price that means that we're going to be able to do a thing. You can't pitch something that doesn't have any meat to it. You can't pitch something that doesn't have a shape. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and there's like a fine line between giving away all your creative ideas mm-hmm. before you, they've signed the dotted line yep. versus giving them enough confidence in what you're about to do. Yeah. And yeah, that's a really fine line to walk, isn't it? Because they don't totally. want to just say, yep, here's $10,000, but you haven't given me any ideas yet, but giving them all of the ideas and then they kind of just disappear and don't become a paying client. That's why you sell a strategy session. You have to, first up for every one of my packages, everything that we do starts in an in-depth strategy session. That's first point of call. I can either do a one-off session before even the main proposal is sent, or it could just be obviously in their package, but that's so important. And you have to do it pretty quickly after they sign. So they get really excited and keep that momentum going. Yep. And just in terms of selling that as a, so you would, be like, we'd love to work with you. We understand your business. Our first step, if you say, yes, let's go, our first step is a strategy session. Yeah, 100%. I pitch that straight away and it wins them over as well because it's not just us delivering work and like creating and delivering it. They want to know that they get more time with me, more time with my team, more time with Alyssa, more time strategizing and setting that foundation. It gives them confidence that you're going to understand them, right? You're not going to create things that they're not going to be happy with because it's built on a foundation of you knowing them and knowing their outcomes. That's a really big thing and a shift that I made in my business. Early on, we just sold ideas, right? So the strength of our sales percentage, our conversion rate was based on how good our ideas were and how good we were at communicating the ideas. And I know, I know Blair Enns does, speaks a lot about this. His book, The Pitch, a win without pitching manifesto. I highly recommend people go to that. But the whole idea is that you shouldn't be doing work that you don't get paid for. Your value as a creative, it's in your creative ideas, the outworking of those and the linking of them to a business outcome or the person's outcome, whether that's they want more status from an amazing sculpture. That's still an outcome that you're achieving, right? The first step and the way we changed, we used to just come up with this crazy idea. We'd put heaps of work into the pitch. We'd spend 10 plus hours on this proposal that finally detailed exactly what the video was going to look like. That's literally doing Mm pre-production. That is pre-production. And we pitch it and some people would vibe with the idea, 
some people wouldn't. And some people would take our idea and get someone else to make it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At a cheaper that was, price. It was going to be cheaper. Totally. And I think that's where your processes and systems really come into play there. Mm-hmm. Because, for instance, like my business, we have sales pages for all of our offerings. We've got PDFs that describe our secret source, what we do, how we do it, what's included. And we've got case studies to showcase that mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. if people want to know more, I show them that. Yeah. The proposal, that's obviously we need to get paid to be able to do this for them them. But if you've got like a, a digital kind of funnel or some kind of sales funnel online that captures a lot of that, creatives can do that too. There are lots 100%. of things that artists can do to create that for themselves as well. But it really just adds more value to what they're about to get. And it does a lot of the selling for you. Totally. So instead of selling ideas, we're now selling trust. And that's exactly what you're saying. Say an artist is wants to get more commissions. Yeah. And instead of selling an idea to someone, but based on say, someone says they they want this kind of commission and the artist goes, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this and this. That's selling the idea. Rather than doing that, you can build all those assets that mm-hmm. you're talking about, Kira, that you've got and we've got that build trust in the audience that you are able to achieve what they want to achieve because you do it day in, day out. Totally. You've done it before. This is the process of how you do it. That's not selling your idea. That's no. not selling your creativity. And that doesn't take any of your it's time. It's just mapping after out your creative process. Uh-huh. Yeah. Definitely. And most creatives are missing out on a massive opportunity there because nearly everyone has a creative process, but a lot of people are not talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so people who are not creative or, or they're not in a creative industry and they're coming to a creative industry for their creativity, the, how many times can I say creative in a sentence? <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what you know. You may think, oh, this is just what every artist does or this is just what every videographer, graphic designer or whatever does. But the person that's coming to you probably has no idea about it. As creatives, we can sometimes live in our own little bubble where we're like, oh, doesn't everyone just know about typesetting and the rule of thirds or the golden (laughs) ratio or what? Like, isn't that just common knowledge? Shouldn't they just know that or (laughs) whatever it is? Yeah. But I like what you said there, Kayla, because – if you can demystify your process mm-hmm. and people go, oh, he understands what he's doing or what they're doing, I now understand it. I trust their process and you can just yeah. almost hand over the keys a little bit knowing that you'll get a result. Yeah, um, that's trust. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the person then trusts that they're going to get an amazing creative outcome, but they have no idea the details of what that's going to look like really. They just know that you're capable and they trust that you're going to do it. Yeah, that's right. And making it a little bit less mysterious and scary for people. It can be a very scary thing for a business to spend thousands of dollars on a creative thing that you can't actually see it at the end. It's not like selling a product where you can see it and you buy it and it's in your hands. Like mm. y- That's why you have to sell the experience. Mm. And I yep. talk about this a lot. I've, if you mm. can sell the experience that someone's going to get, even if it's just one outcome, whether it's one video they're going to get or two videos or mm-hmm. they're going to get one piece of art or, or one logo, you need to sell the experience mm. before you actually sell the outcome as well. Like obviously they Love want this. the outcome, but the experience is, that's where the magic happens. That's where that we're talking back at the connection and resonating and and all of that. If you can sell the experience someone's going to get with you, they're going to give you their money. They're going to invest in you because they know that they're going to go on a journey with you. They're going to get this experience that is unlike any other. Yeah. A big thing that on that point, that's such a a great element because it's another level in the sales process is bringing confidence to your potential client or customer, but it's in their perception of 
working with you. Mm -hmm. So you may get them over the line on the outcome, uh, your capability to deliver, but they still will often have um, apprehensions Mm -hmm. uh, and fear in what that process is going to look like, and it represents risk to them. Mm -hmm. So if you can lay out your process Mm -hmm. uh, and the experience they're going to have with you, then that has the opportunity to alleviate the risk that they feel. 100%. My key to this, what I would say to any client, any industry, whether you're an artist, whether you're a creative, whether you're a business owner, if you can create an onboarding funnel, Yeah that literally maps out what it is that they're going to get, how they're gonna get it, what the stages are, talk them through the process, even your creative processes that they don't see, just talk them through it. Yep. I have these onboarding pages in my own business. I build this for pretty much most clients that I have when we do their websites and it just walks them through exactly that. It gives them that insight into the, the full experience they're gonna get that whole journey from the first strategy session to, okay, yep, you need mood board and color palette. Then we're gonna move on to the logo. Then we're gonna move on to your variation. And we're going to do your brand board behind the scenes. I'm going to be doing all of these things during that time. And they just need to see it. They need to feel it, experience it. You can do this through video. You can do this through writing. You can do this through a diagram anyway. But that is the kind of this one of the secrets. That's yeah. awesome. So we've focused a lot of time on like, we haven't even made the thing yet. We're just like, <laughs> we're just selling them, making them confident in our creative abilities. Mm. What about when it gets into making the creative thing And especially maybe people are used to what they're exposed to. And if Mm. they've only ever used Word documents and PowerPoints and clip art is their thing, you've got a pretty big (laughs) challenge to break them out of clip art as the thing that they're used to. I'll start with the ultimate challenge so we can go from from there. (laughs) So how are we going to start to push our clients into creative solutions that is going to break their brain a little bit? You've obviously got all this like background information that you can draw back on and be like, look, we've made these decisions for these reasons. But what are the practical tips, especially if you're going to step into a menu like we have this creative thing, it's going to blow your mind. (laughs) What's going to be an up? an uphill sell. Do you have any techniques for that kind of situation? First point I want to make is that there's probably going to be some people listening to this episode that have no idea what clip art is. Is that really show my age? (laughs) Yes, I think it might be. That's Uh, like (laughs) an art from Microsoft Word. (laughs) It's like Canva now. It's, you know, people give us, this is what Uh, I want. It's like you're hiring me. (laughs) That's the new clip art. Hey, look, I've done this logo. Could you do the same thing? (laughs) Clip Mm -hmm. art has come a long way. Canva's real handy on the clip art. Oh, like, yeah. Unless oh, you're yeah. a designer and you're like, oh, who's using Canva? No, you have to embrace it. We embrace it. We have the full Adobe suite, but we embrace Canva and we teach our clients how to use it because it empowers them to be able to do it themselves. That's thinking smarter. I like it. 100%. And not having a fear mentality. I love that. All right, so back to the actual question. How do you sell something to someone who doesn't understand or have value to, for it? In terms Maybe, of yeah, they just don't understand the, it. You know that it's outside of their scope. It's the it is. Yes. It's visionary. It's going to make sales it's going to serve the purpose but it's a hard sell because they're not ready for that kind of creative ingenuity love it have you got a process i've got a story but i'm keen to hear if you've got a process so how would you tackle that so for us i would go straight away plan out a presentation or a pitch deck but Mm -hmm. instead of making it mostly words it's going to you know capture some visuals it's going to go through that emotional journey and experience they're going to get we really dive into that experience and we obviously try and 
capture what that outcome is going to be, but less about the visuals of it, but more about the emotions behind it mm. and how they're going to feel, how their audience is going to feel, using it, adapting to it. Yeah, that's probably what I would say. And it's all just based in that experience. But honestly, most of the time when clients come to me, I don't have to do a hard pitch or a hard sell, even for the big jobs, even for the big ones, because I've got this whole process in place prior to that. My website, my sales pages, my PDFs that, that capture everything. I'm, I personally, I'm in marketing, but I don't like sales. Mm. It's not my comfort zone. I don't like doing that. So for me, it's more about how can I automate that process, set it up once, and then I can replicate it and use it and then focus my time on the relationship and that connection with the client to win them over. Mm. I think there's a good perspective here to keep in mind when talking to potential clients is that most of the time they're not going to be this creative that you are. Mm-hmm. So I, I think uh, creatives can sell to someone and talk to them as if they uh, can visualise, as if they can mm. see the creative amazing thing and they can see the opportunity they speak to like graphic designers speak to the person as if they're a graphic designer and they're trying Mm -hmm. to sell them on the depth and beauty of the and the wonderful thing that they're going to make but the reality is they don't really need to understand it they don't Mm -hmm. actually need to understand how the detail of your creative process it's really helpful to communicate to make them trust you like we've already said but if you're focusing on the experience and the outcome, that's something that that's their present reality. That's what they're focusing on. And that's what they're most concerned about mm-hmm. is what is this going to look like for me? Is this going to represent a lot of pain and frustration and heartache trying to go through this process? And is it actually going to achieve anything that's of value for me? That's what they're focusing on, not the actual thing that you're doing for them. If you build the trust with them, they'll just trust you with it. Mm-hmm. They'll just go. Totally. And and that's such a freeing thing for a client. I know from my perspective working with you, Kira, I don't really want to know like <laughs> all of the things. I have such confidence and trust and it releases anxiety and I feel peace when I can just trust you and your team to do the work. Is that, can I ask though? Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. So thank you. But can I ask, is it because you know that if you want to know any of that, it's all there? We're uh, so totally. transparent. Yeah. And yeah, there's no doubts there. So understanding that if I really needed to the information, then I could ask you and you'd, you'd have it. But that freedom comes from me not having to, to fill my brain with your thing. I've got my brain that's full of my things. So why would I want to add more things? I don't need to know all the details because that's just bogging me down. That's a business owner's perspective. Kira's going to go and drop this podcast into an audio transcriber, <laughs> copy and paste that bit and put it on her website as a testimonial. Uh, 100%. That was great. More than welcome. <laughs> I, um, I really like uh, both of those responses. My question though is a bit flawed because if you're coming to someone with something that's so different to what they're expecting, you've maybe missed the brief. You're probably yep. coming to them you know, wrong. Totally. <laughs> but there also is a there is a space for like people don't know what they're asking for. You have to show them what the best option is. If they're not creative, sometimes you will have to push them a little bit to get the best result. All right. A couple of things here. This is yeah. really good. We identified a long time ago, a few years ago, that some clients come to us and they might have a, a team of people that um, are aware of a problem or something that they want to do. They might want to make a video, 
but everyone's got different opinions on what that should look like. And that is a recipe for disaster. If you are coming in as the creative and the team that's hiring you aren't even clear on what they mm-hmm. want and they can't communicate it to you because they they don't have the language, they can't visualise, they're just like, oh, we know we need something, but we have no idea what it looks like. Have you had any of those 100, briefs? Oh, yep. yeah. And that's when you have to dive deep and do that foundational work with them. I would straight away put them in a workshop type style thing for yes. 15, 20 minutes. If I'm in a meeting room with a whiteboard, that's when you get that out and you start talking about what it is, what are all the ideas and what's the common link between them all. And once you find that common link, mm. then obviously you can build out from there. People just need to say their ideas and get them out there. They don't actually need to hold on to them and commit to them. They just want to know that they're heard. So yep. in a group like that, mm. say it all out, find the common link and then work from there. Yeah, and then once it's up on a whiteboard or it's mm-hmm. written down, you can review them from there. And you, yep. once you put it up on the board, you're like, actually, it's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, that's not the focus. Yep. I've had that exact thing happen on a mural before. Most murals, people go, we want art, but we don't <laughs> know who or what it would look like. It's They're very loose briefs. They have a business. They have some kind of reason for doing it. So we dive into all of that, as we've discussed. In one particular project it was actually the golden vine on the side of the wall there there's a mural on the side so local artist chris duffy did that one the client at the time he just wanted to do something creative to give back to the community to represent what they do and make it just a really fun inviting space the vine has a deep history in pub culture and music culture in bendigo we jumped into all of those kind of things so there was about a thousand things that could have been represented in this artwork Mm -hmm. and we went backwards and forwards chris and i coming up with a concept and oh not sure mm, not sure and what I realized we were doing wrong is we were just showing him this is an option this is an option here's another option (laughs) oh no stick to two options max (laughs) so there was like two a variation but there was just like oh I still don't know what I want I'll know when I see it a little bit so I was like all right I need to hit this a little bit of a home run the next time. And this is why it's good probably to have, I feel like all three of us here, we're like the orchestrators of the creative Mm -hmm. activities. So we're like that central point and then we're the ones who go and sell it back to the client. So we creative directed or art directed Mm -hmm. or oversee the production. And what I went back and did was we came up with a really solid artwork. I'm like, he cannot say no to this (laughs) and I'm going to make sure of it. Yeah. And it was about making a presentation. Mm -hmm. So back to your point, Kira, we're, What I did was focus in, I zoomed in on each element of the picture that told a part of the story. Mm -hmm. Right. And I flicked him through this presentation. I'm like, oh, and it's a music thing. So we've got this microphone and there's just a zoom in of a microphone with a hand. Uh And he's like, oh, okay. And then, oh, and it's on King and Queen Street. So there's a King and Queen of Hearts because it's about love. And and we zoomed (laughs) in on that bit. And then we'd had some stories come in on social media about this is the place where people first met and fell in love before they got married, blah, blah, blah. Wow. So then we zoomed in on the the couple who were like dancing eye to eye and all the, I showed him all of the elements of the picture mm-hmm. and he's just like, hurry up and show me the thing. Like I'm, I'm it, it built him up to this yes. climax of wanting to see the, the final form. picture. Yeah. And by the time we hit that, like he was already sold. We'd sold him on all oh, of the yeah. little elements. Oh, man. And then showed him the final picture. And I was like, oh, my God. I, It took a few fails to get to that point. But I've taken that as a lesson. And now mm-hmm. building the story before totally. you show someone the final genius. product is just as important. That is more a important. genius move. Because what you did there, the first two times, you said, this is our best effort. And I'm giving you the responsibility of deciding whether it's good or not. 
Mm. That's what you were saying to him. And he was like, oh, that pressure's too much. I don't know. But what you did on the third time was you said, we've decided that this is the best option and here's why. And that gives him confidence to go, oh, man, the pressure's not on my shoulders to decide whether this is good or not. They've decided it's good because they're the creatives and they're the ones that should know. And they have laid out exactly why they've made each choice. That's genius. There's also value in getting knocked back, I think, sometimes. Like at the time it hurts, like why didn't they just go with it? But (laughs) sometimes having a client say no or pressure test your idea or give a little bit of resistance, it actually turns out to be a better result if you take it on board and use it. Yep. We've got revision processes. Revision rounds are baked into our process on most scripting phases and on the post-production. And even though we know our clients are not necessarily as creative as us, that that's not necessarily the right way to look at it because each person has innate creativity and innate value in the way they see things. And we can't determine what is going to be objectively good in every situation. People are going to see things we don't. They're also the professionals in their industry. That's right. They they, know their industry. They know their audience better than you. They know their industry. They know the terminology. Yeah. So So they bring massive value in helping us produce something better. I think there's something really powerful in that process that you talked about, Reese. We do something similar. We record the process of scrolling through the website homepage for the first time. And that's really important because just like you with your murals, like there's so many different elements. There's so many different moving parts. Mm. And also some of those elements and moving parts may not be what the client wants. Some of them you may not hit the mark on. So if you can go through and take the client through that journey and talk about each of those moving parts, you can also talk about some of the ones that maybe you're not completely sold on. And you can ask them what they think and ask them, oh, maybe is there something else that might resonate here? And you're inviting them into the process, but you're not asking them something huge. You're asking them about something small. I love this. Yeah. I, I've got a, I, I like to call it the illusion of choice. Uh-huh. I yep. don't know why. I just, I've coined that term for myself. But you're not asking them, do you like this thing as a whole? Yeah. It's probably mostly good, but you invite them to comment on things that you could change it and not have a huge effect on yep. the overall result. But asking them to make a decision on a particular thing Mm -hmm. is better than just saying, do you like it? If you can give them an opportunity to say no, they feel like they've, and they may very well have, uh, influenced the direction in some way. Totally. Whereas if you're saying on the entire piece, on the entire website or in the entire mural or video, and you go, do you like it? Man, that's a high pressure question. And if they say no because they don't like the one individual thing, that's just but that headaches, might right? be might that might be why they say no. That's I exactly find right. yeah. it all the time. A client might see something and it might be perfect for them. But if you don't take them on that journey and do the st- the storytelling, mm. explaining each of the elements, if you don't do that, they're only going to see the one thing they don't like, yep. and mm-hmm. that dictates their decision on the whole piece. Yeah. But if you talk about each element, then they can say no about that. But you get to keep the rest. So you're not scrapping (laughs) the project. That's great. They they might not have the terminology to identify the small thing they don't like as Mm -hmm. well. So you you can open it up to give them the words to use or give them the opportunity to comment on certain things by giving them that language in the process. Oh, totally. We have feedback sheets where it literally tells a client the best way to give feedback. If they want to know, there's some tips and tricks on how to do that by saying, I like this, but I don't like this. And it's just simple language, but it's giving that language to them ahead of time and explaining 
training them how to give feedback in the best way. And also saying, I'm open to feedback. Be honest with me, be transparent with me. Because sometimes people hold back and because they're feeling so scared (laughs) about giving feedback, they just say a big no. Or they say yes and they're really not sure about it and then you've got to come back six months later and you know. So any opportunity you can get that little bit of extra honesty from them and or give them some tools and some strategies to learn from the experience, they're going to really appreciate that because it is an experience. They mm. are literally handing over this project that they feel so passionately about. It's so important to them and they're handing it over to you and there's a, probably a lot of other people who can do what you do. Mm. And for them, they don't know that you're the best. Mm. They can only assume, they can only hope. It's a lot of trust to put in a company and a person. So I think that's really important to invite people into that feedback process a little bit more, walk them through the story, the journey when getting those revisions. And it really does help your relationship, but it helps them feel so excited about the outcome because like you said, they they feel like they had a say in it. Yeah. They feel like it's their project, even though you did it all. Yeah. You know, that's really mm. important. Man, that's great. So many bits of gold in there, but the feedback thing, that's Mm, so important. A lot of what we do comes from inside us. Our creativity is often so closely linked to who we are, who we perceive ourselves to be. And feedback situations can be a really interesting sticking point for both the client and the creative. But you as the creative providing uh, that experience and leading someone through an experience, it's your responsibility to set the tone mm-hmm. in a feedback situ- scenario. And if you can remove some level of the emotion <laughs> and get good at getting feedback and actually get to a point where you value feedback mm-hmm. and you value that honesty and you go, that's what I need rather than them to tell me it's great and mm-hmm. they think I'm a superstar. I don't need that. Mm-mm. I need them to be honest because I what I'm uh, striving for here is a collaboration that results in something better than I could have ever done on my own. It, it can get, it can be very easy to get offended by feedback it as a creative. Be. But I, I, as a creative, definitely, yeah. you're, you're empathetic. You're you're so sensitive. Mm. It's so easy. And then, so realizing that they don't have the language that we have to give the precise <laughs> feedback is a really important thing. And yeah. what I like to try and do, sometimes it can be annoying and you have to bite your tongue and be like, okay, it's <laughs> okay. They don't have the language. How can I help them explain what the problem is better? So yep. it might not be that they just don't like it. They might have a very specific reason why it doesn't appeal to their audience. And it takes a lot of reading between the lines to maybe get into that and sometimes I'm, I might say to them in a few more words don't tell me how to solve this tell me what the problem is and we'll solve it good yeah positioning that, yep. yourself as the person who knows how to solve the problems mm-hmm. frees up and gives permission to the client to give you the problems because you're looking for them you're like man I need you to give me information because I'll be able to do something with it totally and I think as well the second that you let the client be the problem solver you lose trust Ugh, you lose boy. respect and that's a, the beginning of a breakdown of your yep. relationship with them so it's yep. really important that if you're offering a service or a product like you need to be the one that always holds the solution yep yeah big time that's i like how we've come to the problem solving at the end of a project we're just doing the final tweaks in terms of wrapping up a project Mm. to round this episode out i just had a question about what kind of celebration how do you mark the end of a project how do you make sure that the project is finished. There's no more final revision, version 35, final four coming out. How do you mark the end of a project? And then the celebration, is there a celebration involved? 
This is great. You've got really celebratory language around mm. what you do, Kira. So I'm keen to hear how do you yeah tackle that. So it's a little bit different for us because it's not like it's just a final video. For us, our outcomes, it's the outcome for now. A website has to continually grow and expand as your business does. And so we more celebrate the opportunity. We celebrate the fact that you've launched. Oh my God, you're out there. Finally, you're in alignment. Your brand is out there in a really bold and incredible way. We celebrate that. And then we also support them through that period because launching is hard. You can't just put it out there online and and expect that you're going to get a million hits on your website or that people are going to give you comments about your logo. There's actually a whole process. So Mm. for us... We celebrate in the way that it's like, yay, the project's done, but hey, you got us for the long haul now. We're here (laughs) to support you. And so we, instead of just celebrating and saying bye for now, we celebrate and then give them a lot of potential next steps. So not necessarily paid ones to us. We give them next steps that are free. We give Mm -hmm. them solutions um, for the next couple of problems that they're going to get that we can't necessarily help them with. So we try and support them on that that journey long term. For instance, their launch campaign. So we'll give them a formula for a one month launch strategy for what they can do on social media. We know that they're going to have to create a new web page on the website. So we give them some kind of training on how to do that. So we offer a lot of kind of free bonus support at the end but it's factored into their original quote yeah and so we do that and our celebration is yeah you get to continue working with us because you love us so much (laughs) that's That's excellent there you've actually got a lot of things and you do a lot of things that fall into when we're talking about a customer journey the Mm -hmm. delight stage Mm -hmm. so this is after they've purchased after you've done the work the the outcome is we want them to be over the moon Mm -hmm. that they've done this thing with us and that we've done a a thing for them. All of the assets and additions and little gifts and freebies, they they all make that person feel like, man, I made a good choice. And that's the celebration kind of thing. There's another element to your question, Reese, which is about how do you make sure that the project is never ending. But there's such a, a key here to... Um, be aware that your relationship with the client doesn't end once your once your creative project is done. No, of That's, course not. It does, and you really don't want it to. No, definitely not. That whole first project is like the dating stage, right? And then your launch when you wrap up, that's the honeymoon phase. You're just like you're married, honeymoon phase, and first the wedding is just the situation. <laughs> but then after that, you're married. You've got mm. this long-term relationship that you have to keep fostering, that you have to keep building. That's the way I see it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Even for creatives who might be selling more of a one-off thing, I'm the mm. same as you, Kira. We, we try and lead people into a longer term relationship because we know we can have more value there and that's it's just overall better for everyone but say you're selling a piece of art this is a good example right someone's bought a piece of artwork from you what they may not expect is accompanying that artwork when they get it delivered or when they pick it up is a, a piece of paper that runs through your your intentions and your meaning, your process of making, your unique process of making the art or a bit of information about what it means to you. Mm. Because as an art collector, you you get so many bits of art and a lot of people will be the same and you put it up there and then slowly the details of who the artist was and all the bits about how they were special and what this painting meant that you did have when you bought it just fade away. And so that's a really simple thing Mm. that you can give in addition to 
your artwork or your your creative service that makes them go, oh, wow, yeah, this is amazing. All right, so we've talked a little bit about one half of your question, Reese, which is how do you make someone feel like really confident in what you've done for them and that they've really enjoyed it. But I think your question was more around how do you help finish a project so that it doesn't drag on forever and man have we I've been in that situation I tell you what version 20 million (laughs) and I often say to clients that you can watch a video too many times and it's the same with a logo. It's the mm-hmm. same with anything design. You, you look at it too much and you will see things that you didn't notice and no one else is going to notice at the start. All of a sudden it starts looking phallic. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> you're like how did I, we get here? I think we need to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> and you second guess everything, right? So how do you help and lead a client through the process of finishing something and calling it quits when it needs to be called quits and you don't get into Quits no or complete. Yeah, well, complete. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's quits. better. That's good. So how do you call it complete and finished before you get into the irky waters of second-guessing everything you've mm. ever done? Version 72. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you look at a word too much. You're like, cup, cup. That so- starts sounding weird <laughs> the more you think about it. Cup. Oh my gosh. That's great. Yeah, I think that when it comes to finishing off a project, like one of the best things to do, if you want to wrap something up, go back to the beginning, talk about the outcome they wanted to achieve and ask them how close we are towards that. Are we close to that outcome? Are we? Did we capture the brief? Did we do all the things you wanted? And then that way it puts it back on them because we've ticked all the boxes mm. and then they start reflecting on themselves and they start thinking, okay, maybe this is really close, but I'm just letting all my ideas come through too much. And it's a really polite way of just stopping them in their tracks and getting them to reflect a little bit on themselves to make sure that we're where we need to be. And when you do that as well, that's when you can introduce that reflection piece as well and the celebration pieces as well, because they might just say, you know what, actually it's perfect, but this tiny little thing needs to be changed and then it's done. And But they needed you to stop them in their tracks so they can have that clarity. Clarity comes after reflection. Yep. Mm, and additional good. fees always help too. You're like, look, <laughs> yeah. we've- That's what I was going to bring the, in. The job is done. We've done these things, reflecting back on the brief, that we can tick off all of our objectives. Now you're being a bit excessive in changes. <laughs> we think it's done. Uh are you going to start to incur additional fees after this yeah. round of changes? We'd, I really enjoy this part because I do it really well and it's not hard. The client doesn't feel like I'm being rude or anything. And Just he, because you're smiling while you say it, Caleb, doesn't mean you're not <laughs> being rude. Really? No, I love it. This is great. This is going to be valuable. That's why I'm smiling. <laughs> okay, this used to be a really big problem until we implemented our proposal system. And within that proposal system, we say you have two rounds of minor changes in post-production. Now, we can do that because they've already approved the script. So they've already approved what the plan is before we get to the actual product. So if your process doesn't involve that pre-approval, then this might be a little bit uh, different for you that you might say they're open for major changes or more rounds or whatever. But we say as standard, you have two rounds of minor revisions because we know there are going to be some revisions and we want there to be to make the product better. But we say in the proposal that they've signed, we say if we go more than two rounds, we can do that. We always say yes, but there is always consequences. 
the issue that you have as a creative as you feel like you you can't say yes because you haven't set conditions in which uh, you're not going to get stooged. (laughs) So people ask you to change something and because you haven't set any expectations on how much is too much or when the finish line is, then and they're well over it, you've got no power in that situation. Mm -hmm. You go, oh, oh, poor me. But what we do is we go, this is your first revision. Please be aware you've only got one more after this, so give us as much information as possible. And then in the second revision we say, this is your second and final revision. We just want you to check off that everything that you communicated in the first one has been done and that there's nothing else that you want to change. And then once that's done, we send them the approval version. We say, this is the approval version. This is the final. Yay, we've done. We're finished. We need you to tick off that this is done. Please be aware that if you have any more revisions, they'll be charged at $150 an hour as per our proposal. Mm-hmm. And so when I don't have to say no to them mm. ever, they come back to me and they say, oh, yeah, we just showed someone who had approval authority and we didn't really tell them anything about it throughout the whole process and now they want to change stuff. Oh, ooh, that sounds like a you problem. I can I can definitely change <laughs> all of those things. Yes, it's going to cost you an extra $2,000. <laughs> yep. Or it's just we're going to just go on an hourly rate and it could cost you a lot more. There is so much to say in having detailed proposals from Day Dot. Like our proposals, we literally list every single little deliverable they're going to get. Any of the ones that are bonus that I add in, like I don't include those because I like to show them at the end and be like, oh yeah, you actually got all this extra bonus. from us too. But all the things I know they're going to question or that I know that they need to see, I put that down so detailed. And we do the same thing, two rounds of revisions. We also do two rounds of revisions for the homepage. So they get that first taste and they get to do that and make sure that's perfect. And then the two rounds for the rest of the side are minor. And that just saves our skin so much. That's good. Yeah. Built on processes that are, are relevant to you, right? Totally. That has been a really valuable episode, I think. Hopefully it hasn't been too much of a fire hose. I often think, yeah, that is a bit of an issue with me, is I, I try and shoot people with a big fire hose and they're like, ah, oh, it's too much. <laughs> but I, I think this one has been really good. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming in for a chat, Kira. Thanks, Kira. Oh, thank you. Oh. Anytime. Legendary. Until next time. Definitely. Thanks for taking the time to join us for another episode of Country Creatives. Country Creatives is conceived and hosted by Reese Hendy and Caleb Maxwell. It's produced by me, Amy Chapman, with the invaluable support of Emporium Creative Hub. For all past episodes, show notes, and to contact us, please visit emporiumcreativehub.com.au slash podcast. We look forward for you joining us for our next episode in a couple of weeks' time. Take care.